Amen. Well, we're not going to move away from worshiping the Lord, but we're going to do that because uh, He speaks to us from His Word. So as you find your seats, why don't you get your Bibles and go with me to the book of Mark. We are going to be in Mark chapter 7. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Uh, you can follow along with us on the Bible app or you notice our ushers are coming around. You can just kind of get their attention and uh, we want to be able to give you a copy of God's Word. We are in uh, the book of Mark, jumping back into our series, just kind of working through this together, Mark chapter 7. And uh, just to kind of recap a little bit, um, we are, uh, it, it, we've kind of been primarily focused Jesus' ministry around the Sea of Galilee. Now, I kind of want to take this moment to just uh, make a little bit of announcement that um, I am going to be there next month. I am uh, going to, some of you know this, I'm going to Israel for two and a half weeks in May uh, with uh, my coaching pastor who lives in Indiana and the elders have really encouraged me to go and to be able to be there and I am fired up. I cannot wait to see this. It's going to be incredible. One of my goals is for me to be able to learn as much as I can and bring some of it back and take pictures so that I can show you these places. Hopefully this is just going to kind of enhance our time together in God's Word. And uh, uh, so we are here kind of in the Sea of Galilee. After this in uh, Mark chapter 7, there's going to be a location change and he's going to start focusing on the Gentiles instead. But Mark has been trying to answer for us two questions. You remember these questions? Remember these? The first question is, who is Jesus? Go ahead and turn to your neighbor and tell them, who is Jesus? Come on, I want you to repeat this. You're learning. You're learning. What's the second question? Who is Jesus? The first, first question. Second question is, what does it mean to be his disciple? Go ahead and tell them, what does it mean to be his disciple? We're learning. We're learning. He called us to make disciples. But not just nominal Christians, okay? We're not trying to fill seats or fill offering bags. God wants our hearts. That's what he's after. Um, can anyone tell me uh, where this is from? Oh, it's not Chipotle. This, oh, uh, Chipotle is just amazing, isn't it? Honestly, I think I could eat this every single day of the year. It's a, just a little piece of heaven on earth. It is awesome. I really don't even know why I did this to myself because now all I want to do is eat Chipotle and uh, we, we've got to wait a little while. You're not thinking about anything else. Don't be distracted. You're paying attention. Got it? Uh, anybody else want to go to Ch uh, Chipotle today? Anybody interested? We have any Chipotle fans? All right, here you go. Ready? Don't, don't lose it. Okay. Well done. Well done. Uh, here's the deal. I, 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 did you really think that I was going to give away Chipotle? Like, do you think it was going to be that easy? That's actually not Chipotle. Unfortunately, sorry, Christy, that's just a whole bunch of bags wrapped up in tin foil. See, it looks like it, uh, but looks can be deceiving, can't they? Uh, what, what's on the outside can be deceiving, but come on, finish it. It's what's on the, it's what's on the inside that counts. That's actually the big idea of our text this morning. Mark chapter 7, if you're taking notes, it's this. It's what's on the inside that matters. And only Jesus can clean your heart. You know that? Jesus is about to uh, get into 
conflict with the Pharisees, these religious leaders. We've got a, a lot of text to read, so I want you to follow along with me. Mark chapter 7, I'm starting right here in verse 1. We're interested in what's on the inside, not just the outside. Verse 1, he says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper, copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is, given to God. Then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but it's the things that come out of a person that are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he asked them, or he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus, he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So this is a classic case of uh, having an argument about something other than what you started arguing about. Has that ever happened to you? You know what I'm talking about? Like you start arguing with somebody, maybe this happens in your home, and all of a sudden you're like, you're like halfway into it, you're like, wait, what, what are we arguing about again? Because we're like, we don't even know what we're fighting about anymore. Maybe, like, I'm just going to create a scenario here, okay? Uh, JT and Janelle, I know that this would never happen, but let's just pretend for a minute that you guys are having an argument in your house, and, and the argument is, Janelle, you're a little ticked, because JT, you never pick up your socks, you never pick up your socks, man. Does this, this ever happen to you? Maybe you've had this argument with your spouse or with your roommate or with your kids. I did not bug your house. I promise you. I did not know that you were actually having this argument. But here's the deal. When you are arguing about picking up socks, you're not really making reasoned arguments 
about the health and economic benefits of picking up socks. You know, like that, 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 that you know, is, this is going to provide a, a cleaner, healthier environment for which we can live, and, 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 you know, this will actually save us money on having to buy that other sock because one inevitably goes missing. You're not really arguing about that. There's a, there's a deeper argument happening, isn't there? What you're really arguing about, what, you're, what, what really steams you and ticks you off is the fact, not that you're not picking up the socks, but that, that you don't respect other people. That, that you're lazy, that, that, that you never help out around the house, or, or, or you don't care how much work you're creating for me, and, and you don't care how this makes me feel, and you're just really selfish. See, picking up socks is not about that. It's something, something deeper. There's an underlying tension or conflict, and picking up socks just becomes a, a, an, an example or a symptom, maybe an occasion that provided you with a practical example for you to build your case to make a larger point. Or maybe it was just the straw that broke the camel's back and now you're just going to let, let them have it. But something else is really going on here. Well, well, the issue at hand, no pun intended, is having clean versus defiled hands. They had noticed, if you see it in verse 2, these Pharisees noticed that the disciples were eating with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Okay, so the problem is not that they're grossed out, okay? It's not that, like, man, you just, you just like, picked up that falafel and started eating. You didn't even wash your hands, man. You, like, you, 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 you don't even know where your hands have been, and, and you, you, know, you don't know what kind of germs you picked up. At least put some hand sanitizer on or, or something. That's not their problem, okay? That's not the issue. The, the, the reason that they are pretty angry about this it's not hygiene I mean some if I could just say it this way some Old Testament laws really did make sense from a a hygiene uh, perspective kind of uh, preventing disease and such but that's not the main concern the main concern is ritual defilement it's a spiritual religious problem because if somebody was unclean or defiled it meant that they could not go into the temple to worship with the community they had to be clean first now i know that reading this in 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 fairfax in 2018 we're not super familiar with kind of a ancient cultic society but you guys understand getting cleaned up right you understand you probably did that this week at some point you maybe had a meeting or maybe you had an interview or something i had a I, i had a meeting this week with the police chief so you better believe that morning when I got up, it's important to me. And so I'm going to take a shower, and I'm going to brush my teeth. Now, I do that every day, but I also decided that I was going to iron my clothes, and I wanted to make sure that I shaved what's left on my head because I didn't want to look like a fuzzy little chicken because this is important. I want to be clean. I don't want to show up disheveled and dirty. It's kind of like that, okay? The Old Testament cleanliness laws were a visual, physical reminder of a spiritual reality. That we are sinners. We are morally impure. We're unclean. And we can't be in God's holy presence without being washed, without being purified first. But the problem is, the necessity of washing your hands before you eat was not something that God said not actually in the Bible. You know that? You see, in the Old Testament, in 
Exodus chapter 30, it was only the priests that needed to wash. In fact, they actually had to wash their hands and their feet, and it was only before they would go into the tabernacle, not before lunch. So, so the, the, the Pharisees, what they had done was they had made hand washing before you eat a binding practice on all good Jews. You want to be a good Jew, you got to make sure you wash your hands and you got to do it the way we tell you to if you really want to be pleasing to God. And so why, why are they doing this? Well, I love that Mark is, remember, he's writing to a Gentile audience uh, that they wouldn't have understood this either. And so that's why in verses 3 and 4, you see these parentheses. You see them there? Uh, that's, that's like Mark's way of just saying, let me just give you a little bit of the backstory so that you can uh, come up to speed on why these guys were, uh, were pretty ticked off about this. Because all the Pharisees and all the Jews, he says, they, they wash their hands properly, listen, holding to the tradition of the elders. What in the world does that mean? Okay, so, so the, uh, the tradition of the elders was the oral tradition. The word tradition means to hand down. And, and so the Pharisees, these rabbis, these teachers had passed down their teaching verbally. And what were they teaching? Well, they were giving their interpretation of the Torah, the, 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 the law of Moses, what we normally think of as Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. That was God's law. But, but, but they were giving kind of their commentary on what God said because they viewed the Torah, the law, as policy on what God commanded. But they kind of felt like God left out the procedures on how they were supposed to comply which is a little crazy for us as we read Leviticus. We're like, it doesn't feel like that to me. But, but they're thinking about, like, just for example, like if God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, you shall not do any work. They're like, okay, okay, okay. We're not going to do any work on the Sabbath. But what does that mean? Okay, so like, give them some credit. They, they want, they're, they're seriously about like wanting to uh, follow God's rule. We want to make sure that we keep those rules. But they wanted the expectations clarified. Like, like what exactly counts as work so for example they're 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 wrestling like they're they're trying to come up with a rule for every conceivable scenario that would happen like like what 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 if this happened or 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 what about this situation what are we supposed to do then and how do we handle this so so one of the things that they would say is we're not supposed to work no work so you can't reap means you can't pick any fruit or produce i mean that's that, that would be work can't do that but then somebody was like, well, wait a minute. What, you know, what if I'm climbing a tree, and I'm just climbing, I'm not like trying to pick any fruit, but I'm climbing a tree, and I accidentally knocked a branch off that had some fruit in it. You know, technically kind of pick it. The rabbis were like, yep, no, absolutely right. You can't do that. We're forbidding you to climb trees because that would, we, we just want to avoid and technically, uh, you know, reaping anything from a plant because God said we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. So they were just adding laws on top of this, adding rules. These guys basically promoted themselves to be like our U.S. Supreme Court, which in theory is designed uh, to give final interpretation of the intent of the Constitution, what the Founding Fathers really meant, and, and uh, our federal, federal law. They, they took the responsibility themselves of interpreting and telling you what God meant to say. 
And it got a little crazy, got a little carried away, which is why in verse 4, he, he, you can almost hear the sarcasm uh, that, that Mark is using here in this verse. It's like, you know, they can't wash, they, they, they've got to come from the marketplace, they can't eat before they wash then, and many other traditions like the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and couches, etc. This list is basically showing you the absurd obsession, uh, their, their over-the-top convictions of trying to keep the letter of the law. Because if you want to be a good Jew, pleasing to God, then you've got to keep every minute detail. And so that's why in verse 5, they're pretty ticked off. And they're accusing Jesus. They say, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but you eat with defiled hands? We need to be clean. And any good Jew who really wants to obey God is going to pay attention to what the rabbis said. So how come you don't? You see what's going on here? There, um, the real issue in this argument is not about washing hands. That's basically just like picking up socks. The Pharisees' problem was that Jesus doesn't obey their oral traditions. And Jesus' problem is that they don't obey God. You see, they were missing the mark on, on two accounts. They were in fundamental disagreement with Jesus on, on two things. Number one, why we're unclean in the first place. And then two, how we can be made clean. And so if I can give you, if you're taking notes, let me give you the first of, of two warnings that Jesus is giving here. Let me say it this way. Beware of outward compliance. Beware of out, outward compliance. Instead of apologizing when the Pharisees accuse him and, and, you know, kind of promising that he'll clean up his act, instead, Jesus says, verse 6, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you Hypocrites. Now we know the word hypocrite obviously has the idea of being a stage actor. So what Jesus was saying is your obedience is not real. It's fake. Well, yeah, your, your zeal, that's sincere, yes. But you don't really want to obey God. You're just acting like it. This people, he says, honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Because outward compliance does not equal inward love for God. What's on the outside can be deceiving, right? It's kind of dangerous that you can say that you love God, but not really love Him. Does that scare anybody? That, that, like, that kind of freaks me out because it's possible for me to think that I'm okay when in reality my heart is far away from the Lord. But it's what's on the inside that matters. What's on the inside? This is a challenge for us then to check your heart. Do you really love God? Can I give you a little test? Can I give you some indications? Let me say it to you this way. If this is true of you, you might be a red no I mean, hypocrite. You might be a hypocrite. If you can go long stretches of being spiritually dry without anybody else 
knowing or suspecting it because you've gotten really good at, at, at keeping hidden what's really going on and kind of keeping up appearances. You might be a hypocrite. If you're more interested in updating and maintaining your social media than reflecting on the condition of your heart in response to God's word, if you ignore conviction and you try to just look for and surround yourself with messages and friends that are going to tell you what you want to hear and make you feel better and avoid those who would speak truth and reveal sin and call you out and challenge you and hold you accountable. Maybe that's an indication that you're being hypocritical. If confession and repentance is not a regular part of your day or week, in fact, you often just forget to ask for forgiveness and you kind of live like you're okay. If you are motivated to volunteer or serve out of guilt, Or when you do volunteer to serve, your focus is on what you're having to give up or how it impacts you negatively when you do serve. Check your heart. If you believe that your standing before God rises and falls based on your performance, or maybe you think that God's going to listen to you And he's going to answer your prayers the way you really want him to because lately, you've been really good. You kind of view prayer as bargaining with God. Watch out. You might be a hypocrite. And if you're impatient with other people who are in sin, if you look down on those who don't share the same convictions as you, or who struggle with things that you would never struggle with. Is this convicting to you? Because it is to me. Beware of just outward compliance. What is really going on in your heart? See, the Pharisees, they, they, they did not have a reverence for God's holiness. But they, they had a desire to be impressed with their own ability to be holy. Now we all know that we need to get cleaned up. But the Pharisees had built a system that allowed them to feel better about themselves when they kept the rules. And they convinced themselves that they could clean themselves up if they could just keep the letter of the law. But that outward compliance to man-made rules just further fueled the hardening of their hearts. They didn't want to listen to God. They weren't sensitive to the things of God. In fact, that's what Jesus says, verse 8. He says, you leave the commandment of God. That word leave means to reject, to dismiss. It's not just that they were like innocently misunderstood. They didn't get it. No, it's that they rejected what God said. And instead, he says, you hold to the tradition of men. You are way more concerned with listening to yourselves talk than you are listening to God. No, I know, like, I, I, we, we, we wouldn't do that. And can I suggest to you that we kind of do? And this is important for me to understand. I can't trust myself. I can't trust me. You know why? Because it is way too easy for me. And I am capable of talking myself out of obeying God. 
Because unless the desire of my heart is truly to please him, then my focus is me. And so when I want something or when I want to avoid something, I can come up with all sorts of technicalities and excuses for me to get away with sin this time. And I convince myself that I'm not really doing anything wrong. How in the world do we get to the point where I say, I need to do this? I know God's word says I shouldn't, but I need to do this. It's okay. In fact, he gives us an example of that. Verses 9 through 13, he gives them this example of what they called Corban. The word Corban there meant an offering or a gift. It's kind of like you can... Uh, will your property to someone or to an organization after you die, but you still uh, retain a possession of it. It's still yours while you live. So, so if someone said something is Corbin, what they were doing is they were dedicating it to God. So they were saying, like, like y- y- this is going to belong to God, and it can't be used for anything or anyone else, but you kind of still maintained control of it for a little while, at least while you were living. And so really what it was, it was kind of a, like a loophole that sounds spiritual, but, but really it just lets you be selfish with your stuff and not help anybody. In fact, one of, one of the commentators said it this way, uh, it's like a man goes through the formality of vowing something to God, not that he may give it to God, but in order to prevent some other person from having it. And, and so Jesus gives this scenario. He's like, well, you guys know the law. And God said, honor your father and your mother. You're supposed to honor them, but here's this son And when the time comes for him to help out, for him to honor them and to be a support to them, when they're in need, he's like, sorry, you can't have it. It belongs to God. Can't help you. And that's not a catch-22. In fact, Jesus says, verse 12, he says, you no longer permit. Your rules won't allow him to obey God. You, 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 you are making void the word of God by your tradition. Your legalistic compliance to man-made rules is a direct violation of God's word. And so it means that either something's wrong with God's commands or there's something wrong with you, even though it looks like on the outside you're doing the right thing. See, religion just says, here's this, here's this list of things that you need to do in order to be clean before God, in order to be right need to do all these things. And so we jump on uh, the performance treadmill to try to keep up and to comply, but it leads to foolish hearts and it leads to pride and hardness of heart where we don't want to listen to God's word anymore. But it's what's on the inside that matters. So beware of outward compliance. Don't, don't be deceived by this. And here's the, second, here's the second warning if you're taking notes. Beware of what's inside your heart. It gets worse. In fact, Jesus is actually bringing this full circle to kind of show them how they were wrong about both things, how how to be clean and what makes them unclean in the first place. And so verse 14 says that he he called the people to him again. And so now this this focus is kind of shifting. He was talking to the Pharisees. Now he's going to talk to the crowds for just a minute. I love what he says here in verse 14. Do you see it? Here's what he says. He says, hear me. Listen to me. All of you, and understand. Like, stop listening to them. You listen to me. Because listening to Jesus changes everything. He says to them, verse 15, there's nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but it's the things that, are, that come out of a person are what defile him. You are not unclean 
because of anything coming into you from the outside. It's what comes out of you from the inside. That's what defiles. And then he keeps moving. Verse 17, he, he entered the house and he left the disciple or the people and the disciples asked him. So, so the circle's getting tighter now. He, he's not talking to the crowds anymore. Now he's just the disciples and they don't get it either. Love that. Like we need help too. Uh, and, and they need some explanation. This is often the setting where he, he, he gives us further explanation in, in Mark's gospel and he lets us into the conversation. So verses 18 and 19, Jesus just reiterates this again. He's using this biology to illustrate the point. When, when, when you eat food, it just goes right into your stomach. It never touches your heart. That means that's not what defiles you and makes you unclean. It's what comes out of a person is what defiles him. Verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts and immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and they defile a person. The problem is it's coming from within our hearts. That's a major problem for us. Do you know why? Because it means that it doesn't matter. You can try to keep all of the cleanliness laws and you'll still not be clean. Why? Because we're already unclean. Okay, I'm going I'm to have a survey here. I'm going to take a test, okay? And here's what I want you to do. I'm going to ask you a question, and if you agree with this question, I want you to raise your hand, okay? Can you do that? We're just going to take a t- By the way, hint, hint just um, don't raise your hand. Okay, don't raise your hand. I'm like trying to give you the answer ahead of time so that you don't feel bad if you get the answer wrong. Okay, so don't raise your hand when I ask this question. You ready? I'm going to ask the question. Here's the question. You ready for it? How many of you would say that people are basically good? That we have good hearts? Anybody? Man, a bunch of excellent theologians in here. Praise God. You're making me proud. I love that. It's, it's not what Jesus says, is it? How do, how do you think most people around here would answer that question? I mean, we've watched enough movies to know the difference between the good guys and the bad guys. And, and, and sure, there are some bad guys in the world, but most people are good guys. And, and most of us would identify with the, being the good guys. And I know none of us would say that we're perfect, but, you know, we're, we're basically good. That sounds right, doesn't it? In fact, that's why, you know, you, you, you have this idea that people were either born good or maybe they were just born neutral, kind of like a blank slate, And sure, you can learn some bad things. You can pick up some bad habits along the way and kind of become a a, a product of your environment. But but, but basically, our hearts are are really good. Which means, when we think about it then, we need to discover our inner selves. We need to be authentic. We can't deny who we truly are. We were born this way, which means it can't be wrong. You need to follow your heart, said Jesus, never. Never. That's not what Jesus said in the Bible. What what does he say? He says, evil things come from within. Why? Why do we have evil in this world? Why do we have so much perversion and immorality? Why do we have people that are cheating instead of being faithful? Why do we have so much hatred? Why do we have racism? Why do people say horrible things to one another? Why, why, Why is there violence and killing and deception and division? Where does this come from? It comes from right here. 
It's our fault. It's from our hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9, do you know it? Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Don't follow your heart. Don't trust your heart. Beware of what's inside your heart. It's not good. But I'm guessing some of you already know that. See, see, these Pharisees, they knew that they were unclean before God. They knew that they needed to be purified before they could be in his presence, but they didn't think they needed Jesus. Like, man, we don't have any problem that we can't take care of ourselves. You see, they thought that they could achieve that level of purification in their own passion and compliance with the rules, that they could just make themselves clean or maintain their cleanliness by their actions. And at some level, all of us know that we're not perfect either. That's why we kind of wrestle with the feelings of, of guilt and shame. Because even if we hold ourselves to a lower standard, we often don't even meet the standard that we would expect from other people. We feel that. Something's not right. And so we're not happy. In fact, Pastor Tim Keller said it this way, we still have a profound, inescapable sense that if we were examined, we'd be rejected. And nobody wants to be rejected, right? And so we all try hard to be acceptable. And we'll do whatever we can to be accepted. Why do you think people are so obsessed with work? Man, i I, I got I to have a successful career so I can take pride in my position and my achievement and the status that I get from, from, from money and the things that I'm able to have. Or people are obsessed with their body image. Working out and slimming down and keeping up with the fashion trends so that somehow maybe I can look a little bit more like one of the stars or the models that everybody seems to adore. And if they adore them and I look more like them, people will accept me too. Or we manipulate our social media to project a certain image that we want people to see of us. Whether it's cute or sexy or funny or adventurous or professional or intellectual or whatever it is that we want people to think. And then we become obsessed with oh, oh, the numbers of friends and likes and comments that we receive. And i got to have that approval. Or even doing good things. Fighting for social justice and trying to be kind to your neighbor and, and, and going to church and serving in a ministry. Listen, many of these pursuits are not wrong, but our motive for doing them is often to cover up this feeling that we're not okay. But no matter how hard we try, and after all of our ex efforts to fix it, deep down, we all still feel dirty. Because we know that it's what's on the inside that matters. And we can't do anything to fix that. How do we get clean? Well, I know you know the answer and you're so excited, but I want to show it to you right here in the scriptures. Let me give you, uh, there's a hint of it, verse in 19. Verse 19, you see it there. He says, uh, the food enters not your heart, but your stomach and is expelled. And then you see these parentheses. See the parentheses there? 
He says, thus he declared all foods clean. Now, this is Mark's commentary again for us. He's just trying to help us understand what's really going on here. And, and, and remember, he's writing to a Gentile audience. They've already wrestled with this. One of the struggles of the early church was the question of whether these Gentiles who were coming to faith in Jesus also needed to keep the Mosaic law just like the Jews. Because in the Old Testament, there were foods that God had told them, you're not allowed to eat that because those foods are unclean. And so you imagine you're, you, you know, you're a Gentile, you've become a Christian, and now there's the threat of you not being able to eat bacon for the rest of your life. I mean, this is going to become an issue for you. And so you're wrestling with this, and then all of that changed. All of it changed. Because remember, uh, Mark is writing, we believe, the, the eyewitness accounts of one of the disciples. Do you remember which disciple it was? Remember? It was Peter. Okay, so do you remember what happened to Peter in Acts chapter 10? In Acts chapter 10, Peter had this vision of, of this sheet, this, this net kind of thing coming down out of heaven. And inside it were all of these animals that were unclean. Not supposed to eat those. And guess what God said to him? He said, Peter, kill and eat. Peter heard that and he's like, no way. Man, I'm a good Jew. I don't eat that stuff. That stuff is common. That stuff is unclean. But God said, what God has made clean, do not call common. They'd already wrestled with this. And so what Mark is just confirming is that Jesus was the one who started all this. He's the one who said this. You see, all of these cleanliness laws were meant to remind the Jews that they needed to be clean. They needed to be purified. But the church, we do not need to keep all of these laws anymore. Why? 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 Because they're already fulfilled by Jesus. We're not made clean by keeping the rules, by keeping the law. God's commands to the Jews had served their purpose of pointing out our need to be washed clean and pointing to the only one who could do it. What can wash away my sin? Do you know it? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Because he loves you. Not because you're so lovable that he just felt compelled. It's because he is loving that he sent his son to die on the cross so that we could be forgiven, that we could be washed clean. It's not about what you do. It's what he's done for you. It's what's on the inside that matters, and only Jesus can clean your heart. So can I ask you, how's your heart? Do you believe in what Jesus has done for you? Is there a growing love for Christ? Do you have something you need to confess? I mean, kind of more concerned about the outward appearance and not as concerned about whether your heart is near and embracing Christ in faith. I love this, that if you have something to confess, it tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you need that today? Check your heart. Father, I pray that you would make this real to us.
We want to be a church that loves you from the inside out. I pray that we would lift high the name of Jesus as we recognize our, our need, our desperate need. That we can't do anything about the sin problem. But you have done the work for us. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to rest in the Gospel today. I pray that we would rejoice in what Jesus has accomplished for us. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged. That we don't have to fear. And if we're looking inside and we see something that needs to be confessed, we we don't have to be in terror of your wrath, of being judged, being condemned. Because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I pray that you would beckon us out of the shadows. Invite us to come out, step into the light, and confess our sin, receive your forgiveness, and to be cleansed, to be washed. Lord, you've already done the work, and we give you the praise for it. I pray that you would help us to have hearts that truly love you and long to give you the praise and the glory that you deserve. What can wash away our sin? It's nothing but your blood. And it's in your name we pray.